This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, February 9th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Sheriff's Office outsources mental health co-responder services. TAB celebrates the change within us. Gondola looks for community input and a mountain weather forecast. One of the major shifts over the past several years has been an increased awareness in the importance of mental health. In San Miguel County, several local programs aim to help people when a mental health crisis strikes. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more on recent changes to one of those programs. Over the last two years, San Miguel County has developed a mental health co-responder program to help people in crisis who need mental health professionals. The program was supported with funding approved by voters for local mental health services in 2018. And this can be a variety of different things. It could be a person's incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. It could be that a person is suicidal or depressed or that someone in their family is or that the person might have some violent tendencies that possibly the person can be talked down from if handled in the proper manner. That's Sheriff Bill Masters. According to Masters, the program employed two full-time staff who also had help from part-time workers and volunteers, and their services were in demand. The program received about 600 calls for service or follow-up between July 2020 and June 2021. But recent staffing and personnel recruitment issues have forced local officials to shift their approach. Last week, the sheriff's office announced it would be contracting out the co-responder services to Integrated Insight Therapy, a Delta-based company. We recently lost our leader and, and, and main instigator of, of us moving in this direction. Uh, Robin Slater recently uh, is going to be moving back to Grand Junction, where she's from and has a home there and a family there, and has accepted a job with the um, Veterans Administration. Masters says they tried several alternatives to keep the program in-house, including transferring local officers trained in crisis intervention, but they were still struggling. To a degree, I failed at getting the staff, once again, that that I I needed to have. I thought it was going to be easier to get professionals out and involved, but um, when you look at the hours, being on call 24 hours, working closely with uh, peace officers. I I think uh, it was kind of a challenge to to find the people that said, you know, I I don't mind putting myself in these very difficult circumstances and potentially dangerous circumstances on a routine basis. Staffing shortages, Masters explains, meant co-responders weren't always available. He says Integrated Insight Therapy, the new company providing mental health responder services, will respond by phone within 15 minutes and have someone in person within two hours. Which is a pretty good response considering the size of our county. The Behavioral Health Crisis Services will be available to members of the public, school counselors, first responders, and county jail staff. According to the Sheriff's Office, the company has about 30 clinicians in the region, including three in San Miguel County and hopes to add three more in the next several months. Masters says whether the county sticks with the new company will depend on their performance. But, he adds, one way or another, the mental health responder services will be provided. It's just too important not to have. If you need mental health assistance, you can contact the Colorado Crisis Service Line at 844-493-8255 or text TALK to 382 
555. Hundreds of origami butterflies hang down from the ceiling of the palm stage. Colorful paper folded, just so. Lights dance. And then the music kicks in. It's the Telluride AIDS Benefit Student Fashion Show. It has inspired generations of students to go and become better people in the world, to like bring people together, and it really does do that. And this initial impact is the moment when kids realize that they can make a difference in the world through fun and creative methods. That's Lily Doyle, a senior at Telluride High School and co-director of this year's fashion show. The theme for this year is the change within us recognizing, celebrating, and remembering where we've come and where we're going. Here's Francesca Scalacci, also a senior at THS and co-director of this year's fashion show. We wanted to kind of track like the beginning of AIDS to how it is now, and also um, the beginning of the student show till now. I mean, the student show began in the elementary school gym, and now we're in the Palm Theater. So it's just- With two nights. With two nights, which has never been done before, so it's just like incredible change. For both directors, the fashion show has also been years in the making and changing. I have been watching the show since I was probably about eight years old. My mom has been volunteering as the teacher who supervises all the practices since I was really young. So I've just grown up watching the show and like the community of it. So I knew that when I was in ninth grade that I was gonna try out for the show and that I wanted to be running it. So I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And growing up with the show. I was a dancer up until middle school and it was like, ooh, what's this, a fashion show? And then I started um, learning more about the cause and why are we doing this fashion show? And it's just something like that's still very important and prevalent in our society. But of course, they note, the fashion show isn't just about them. Scalacci adds, it's not even about all the individuals who make up the show. Students put in a lot of hours and it just, people develop selflessness. Uh, this is more than just you. This is more than just you having your moment on stage. This is about raising money and like stopping the spread. I also think that um, for a lot of high schoolers, it's a time to get to know their peers better. Um, I think it can raise people's confidence as well. Um, you learn a lot about being on stage, about smiling and stage presence. So I think it's a great opportunity for high schoolers to develop themselves. Throughout the show, lines of 5 to 50 students confidently walk onto the stage, strut their stuff with the full support of their cast behind them. The show is a true collaborative student-run effort even down to those butterflies at the back of the stage. I think it's just a good symbol of the butterfly to show how we're still evolving and we still have a far way to go, yeah. but we're doing the work that needs to be done yeah. to get there. The set design came from Doyle, but the origami butterflies themselves came from the whole cast. I saw origami as a really good like metaphor for how we can change a piece of paper into something more than just a piece of paper. and as we're able to make a butterfly with that piece of paper, I figured it would be like perfect for our set and just like have everyone like put it all together into the set, just like everyone works together. I made sure that every single person wrote their name on a butterfly. Every single person made one butterfly in the show. The show is colorful, playful, impressive, and fun, but it's also a reminder of where we've been, where we are, and where we have the power to go. I'm hoping people just feel really inspired and like 
even I'm capable of change outside of this. I can be the one to educate myself. I can be the one to prevent stuff. Proceeds from the fashion show this year will go towards TAB's beneficiaries, HIV AIDS organizations in Colorado, Utah, Ethiopia, and Swaziland. The Telluride AIDS Benefit Student Fashion Show will take place on Thursday, February 10th, and Friday, February 11th at 6 p.m. at the Palm Theater. The Adult Fashion Show will take place Thursday, February 17th through Saturday, February 19th at the Conference Center in Mountain Village. Tickets are available at TellurideAidsBenefit.org. You bop up to Mountain Village to hear music in the core, you come into Telluride for work, there's a good chance you're taking the gondola. The transit system has been in place for 25 years, but the current operating contract expires in 2027. As such, local governments and stakeholders are looking to the future and what the gondola could look like for the next 25 years. The future of the gondola is really one of the most important issues that's facing the, the Telluride region, and the current system is approaching 25 years of age and is running at capacity. So the future of the gondola and what decisions we make locally as a community are just going to be really important in how we move around and manage traffic and congestion and, and visitors in the future. That's Miles Graham with GBSM Inc., a consulting firm facilitating the collaborative planning process for the future of the gondola. At the table are the towns of Telluride and Mountain Village, San Miguel County, the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation, Telski, and the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association. Now, the group is looking for community input. I think there are certainly a lot of technical feasibility questions that will be driven by what the design and the engineering dictates, but that community feedback is really going to be helpful in terms of prioritizing where there are opportunities, where there are challenges. The gondola committee has created a short survey to get insight on what works with the gondola, what doesn't work, the type of amenities riders would like to see in the cabins and stations, Graham says they've already received nearly 1,500 survey responses, but they're hoping to double that number. The insights we've already begun to identify as themes, you know, just the convenience of the gondola as a reliable and efficient and free transportation system is something that the community highly values. So that type of insight is going to help the planning committee make some decisions and then also weigh trade-offs as we look at our ability to decrease lines and wait times as that's a community priority that, that we're going to need to address as we look at what amount of capacity for the future system would be ideal. Graham says they're looking for feedback from the community because as a form of transportation, the community is the heart of the gondola system. The region really did pioneer the use of a gondola as public transportation. And I think there's now 25 years of demonstrated, you know, 
qualitative and quantitative data that shows this gondola functions as public transit first and as a recreational amenity second. So I think that just the track record has been really helpful in, in showing that and proving how gondolas can be effective transportation systems. We want to make sure that the next 25 years are as, as innovative and pioneering as the last 25 years. And the goal is to get out ahead of the 2027 operating deadline to create as seamless a transition as possible. The group is really planning to get out ahead of that Um, 2027 deadline and figure out how do we make sure there are minimal interruptions to service anytime you're looking at retrofitting a major piece of infrastructure or replacing it completely. There's going to be some downtime, but how we can stagger that and sequence it so that it has minimal disruption to the regional transportation system is going to be the key. And and we're all looking to, to see where's that sweet spot. The survey takes about five minutes to complete. It is available via QR code in Gondola Cabins and at OurGondola.org. The survey will be available at least through the end of the winter season. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the Telluride Comedy Festival, the 22nd annual celebration of all things laughter and giggle-related, returns to the Sheridan Opera House next week. Performers include Rob Hubel, Paul Shear, Andrew McCann, Claire Mullaney, Beth Stelling, Lily Sullivan, and Nick Thune. The festival kicks off with Locals Night on Thursday, February 17th, and runs through Sunday the 20th. You must be 21 or older, unless accompanied by an adult, and show proof of COVID vaccination or a recent negative test. More information about tickets for the 2022 Telluride Comedy Festival is available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. Love is in the air, construction paper is fun, and history is neat. It's time to make some vintage Valentine's Day cards. This week, the Telluride Historical Museum and the Wilkinson Public Library are teaming up for Vintage Valentines. Kiddos will learn about Valentines from days past and then have the opportunity to make a doily-filled Valentines themselves. Vintage Valentines will take place at the library on Thursday, February 10th at 4 p.m. It's not only the humans that need to get vaccinated. Animals also require the jab to stay safe from disease. Colorado Parks and Wildlife are reminding pet owners of that fact after a gray fox carcass in La Plata County tested positive for canine distemper, a respiratory virus that causes illness to the respiratory, gastrointestinal, and nervous system of puppies and dogs. The virus can also spread through shared water or food bowls. According to CPW, canine distemper spread is most common through direct contact with infected animals. It cannot be transmitted to humans. Sick animals often have difficulty moving and can act abnormally because of brain infections. Eyes and noses are often crusty. Symptoms can also include coughing, diarrhea, vomiting, and thickening paw pads. CPW notes symptoms can often be confused with rabies, and sick animals usually do not survive. In Colorado, canine distemper impacts household dogs, coyotes, foxes, raccoons, skunks, and other wild carnivores. CPW urges pet owners to ensure their dogs are up to date with vaccinations, keep them on leashes, 
don't allow pets to interact with wildlife, and avoid keeping water and food bowls outside to limit possible contamination. Colorado lawmakers are considering a bill that would protect workers who consume marijuana outside of the workplace. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. House Bill 1152 would stop businesses from firing or refusing to hire workers who use medical or recreational marijuana when they are off the clock. It would also protect workers who use medical marijuana in the office. There would be exceptions for some jobs that would be dangerous if someone was using the drug. Colorado's workplace marijuana laws have prompted many legal battles over the last decade. The Colorado Supreme Court ruled in 2015 that employers could fire workers for using medical marijuana even if it was done outside of working hours. The effort to undo that decision is being led by Democratic Representatives Edie Hooten of Boulder and Brianna Titone of Arvada. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, we're turning to the Colorado legislature. As the U.S. transitions away from coal, many communities are looking to tourism to fill the economic gap left behind by the shuttered industry. Many other communities began that transition decades ago and are now facing new challenges. As KBUT's Christopher Biddle reports, there's a new initiative at the Colorado legislature to rewrite some rules on the post-coal economy. Gunnison County Commissioner Jonathan Houck assumed his leadership role just as the coal industry there was really bottoming out. The closure of two mines, one suddenly after a fire and subsequent collapse, was a big hit to the county's tax base. Here's how Hauk puts it in perspective. If you equate what that meant to the economy here and what that would look like to Denver, that would be like a company with 17,000 people leaving Denver. That's a big deal. But luckily, Gunnison County had planned for this. Over the other side of Kebler Pass is the town of Crested Butte, once an outpost for the numerous mines of all sorts in the area. In the 60s, when the industry couldn't sustain the town anymore, the locals successfully made the switch to skiing. In time, Crested Butte also became a hub for mountain biking and became famous for its wildflower festival held every spring. In 2002, the county took advantage of a state law that allowed it to collect a 4% lodging tax. Again, Jonathan Houck. So that could be a hotel, a motel, a bed and breakfast, a short-term rental, uh, anything under 30 days, they pay that fee, that tax. And that then goes into a fund that is overseen by the Board of County Commissioners. Who are then obligated to spend that money on tourism promotion. And it worked. Save for the Great Recession, the area saw steady growth in visitation for almost two decades. But tourism also began to take its toll on the community. Waves of gentrification doubled and then tripled the cost of housing. The urban hordes trashed natural settings and eroded bike trails. Locals complained about a lack of diverse job offerings. 
The community adapted to some of these concerns. Local organizers and volunteer groups took stewardship of the trails and other natural settings. The Ice Lab, a sort of training school for entrepreneurs, came right out of federal money meant for communities transitioning from coal and was meant to bring new and exciting jobs. Still, the housing problem just got worse and worse. All the while, a growing contingent of residents were calling for a halt to marketing for tourism while the county dealt with more pressing problems. Then the pandemic hit. The system collapsed and never fully recovered. The town of Crested Butte declared an official housing emergency. Workers' shortages closed businesses, and the cost of housing shot up again. In a knee-jerk reaction, county commissioners turned off summer tourism marketing and used the money instead to promote the local college, because at least students could live in dorms and wouldn't be adding to the problem. Two years out, with the housing crisis in full swing, Hauk wants to spend money on something that helps, not just something that doesn't hurt. Which is why he's asking the legislature to change the rules for lodging taxes. Trust communities. They're still going to market. They still want to bring people to their community. But at the same time, they want to grow the amenities that they need for the workers and for the landscape. And so that's really what we're trying to do is not pigeonhole it into it can only be for housing, but housing could be one of many things that this expanded use would allow. State Representative Dylan Roberts, a Democrat of Avon, agrees. And of course, our mountain communities are great and people are certainly coming to visit our mountain communities. And so um, there's been a push by county commissioners and local governments to be to ask us to change the law so that they can use lodging tax revenue for workforce needs like housing, child care community development. That's Representative Roberts speaking at a town hall event in early January before he and a bipartisan group of lawmakers introduced a bill that would open the door for lodging taxes to go somewhere other than tourism marketing. And so that would be a really exciting, uh, sustainable source of funding for affordable housing for our workforce or other workforce needs. Roberts has bipartisan support with Republican sponsors in both the Senate and the House. The bill was orchestrated mostly by a coalition of Colorado counties, and Hauk played a major role in its writing. It's not the first time he's tried to push an idea like this, and he usually meets a united front from tourist industry leaders like Vale and Altera. He thinks that this year, the situation has changed for enough communities that the bill will pass. There is still one operating coal mine in Gunnison County, and coal still makes up a major part of the county's tax revenue. The mine's eventual closure may not be as big of a hit to the county next time around if they have new options. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Christopher Biddle. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Thursday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high in the mid-40s and a low around 25. Friday, expect sunny skies with a high near 45 degrees. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low around 20. This has been the news for Wednesday, February 9th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.